So on Monday, President Biden spoke at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, which is an historically Black church. It's been there for a very long time. For people who aren't from Charleston, you are probably familiar with this church because it's the place where in 2015, Dylan Roof walked in and fatally shot nine parishioners. And he chose the church as a place to talk about essentially white supremacy within the GOP to sort of contextualize Trump's latest actions as part of the sort of historical white backlashes that we've seen and to highlight the stuff that he's done that he thinks Showing it's all a timeline, yeah. Right, and to also highlight the stuff that his administration has done to, at least in their view, benefit Black folks. And in the midst of giving that speech, there were three post-protesters who stood up and demanded a ceasefire in Israel, Gaza. And there was a lot of criticism of, I think initially the first wave of sort of reaction to that that I saw was people saying that it was an inappropriate place for that kind of protest to happen. I think that may have been, I don't think it was necessarily started by her, but certainly the first big account or the first tweet that I saw that was getting a lot of traction around that was from Simone Sanders, who people probably know was Mm -hmm. actually the campaign manager for Biden when he was running. But she's just also like very sort of seeped in democratic politics. I think she has a show on CNN now. But she said that this was not the place to stage that sort of thing and really sort of put it in, framed it as an attack on, an insensitive attack on the Black church as a kind of institution writ large, but also on this church where these lives were lost. And and then the second wave of responses I saw was people saying this church has a long history of being a site of calling for liberty for folks and freedom and justice. And so it's totally in keeping with the role that it has always played. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's where we are. Yeah. And I could see people being upset that that was done. But at the same time, I, I mean, when you're if you're trying to save people's lives, doing it at a moment when other people are talking about it, it is appropriate in its own right as well, I think. And it remains to be seen disruptions like this. I don't know how helpful they are to the cause of people doing them. Like, I, I don't know that, whether they shift a public opinion or not. But at the same time, that's not necessarily what they're trying to do. They're trying to make Biden uncomfortable with enabling the Israelis like he has been for so long. And I think a lot of times we want to think that, well, my intent is to do something here. But then somebody comes along and says, well, it's actually also doing this. It's so easy to just pretend that that's not true. And that's what these protest actions are about. I kind of feel Mm -hmm. like you, I I feel the same as you when you said it does feel a little weird. My actual initial gut response when I saw Simone Sanders tweet was, yeah, I felt really, I didn't feel good about the idea that this happened. Like this is a church that has, I feel like this wasn't that long ago. I mean, it's, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's almost 10 years ago, but it feels fresh somehow, right? I mean, I remember it is not that long ago. I feel like it is, it's really important on the like most recent timeline of this white backlash. And that shooting had a really important effect in terms of co- sort of driving a conversation around Confederate monuments 
around Confederate iconography, around uh, taking down Confederate flags around. I mean, it's, it's literally what led Nikki Haley, who at the time was the governor, to finally take down the flag from the statehouse. So, I mean, it feels like part of a continuum that we are still on. And mm-hmm. and it was and it had such an impact on the place and just full transparency. I did a lot of work in Charleston. And so I, I've been in that church and I just it, it feels so I don't know. It feels very like a very sacred space beyond just being a church. So my 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 gut reaction to that tweet was I, I kind of agreed with her. And I think it's only by reading particularly other black folks talking about the role that church has played that I stopped and sort of questioned my own thinking. And I think they're right. I think that it is a the black church overall is a hub for activism. Right. And for kind of calling Mm -hmm. for justice and certainly is a place that where from from the days of slavery onward where they called for would certainly be calling against a genocide right or yeah what what the government is doing right now i think the bigger question is is the disrespect being carried out by the protesters or is it by the president who is partially funding this genocide and then using the this very historic very symbolic black church as a backdrop as he engages in some of the most anti-liberatory politics ever, right? So there's something to consider about sort of the disconnect between those two things. And uh, South Carolina is a very safe space for Joe Biden, particularly in terms of Black folks. I mean, it is the thing that really helped give momentum to to his campaign when it was 2020. And old Black folks, particularly old Black folks in Charleston who really come out and vote, Mm -hmm. that is, that they really rallied around him. And he has a big fan base there among Black voters. So it was really safe ground for him to return to. And there's there's definitely an element of exploitation happening there, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just considering that and in terms of what we are funding, what we are doing in Israel. Yeah, it completely, it really made me sort of do a reversal on what I thought about the church, especially this church, which is a place where Mm-hmm. You know, the oldest slave rebellion that enslaved folks rebellion that happened in Charleston was very Bessie, yeah. intimately connected to this very particular church. I mean, the original original edifice was burned down, but it's still it was the predecessor church of this church. This is the real rebuilt building. So this is a place that was yeah. you know, very much a hub for black liberation politics. And it's it's kind of hard to now think that it is just a place where we should be staging main, mainstream political rallies. Campaign. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, overall, my thought was that it's not something that I personally would have done in that venue, but Agreed. I yeah, I'm, me not going, I'm not going to condemn them for it, having done it. I would not condemn them, but were I part of the group, I would have said, you guys go ahead. I'll wait here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing about this moment it seems like just a small little thing, a small incident that's a blip in the news cycle. But actually, it's part of something that's bigger, which is that there is a lot of intergenerational conflict that has kind of been underneath the surface of the Democratic Party. And especially as they were led for such a long time by these really old people like Chuck Schumer, <laughs> like Harry Reid, like Nancy Pelosi, and of course, Joe Biden. And it's a fact that a party that that wants to seek the youth vote 
mm-hmm. actually has to listen to them. And this this keeps kind of bubbling up in the surface. So under since Biden became the president, there have been a number of anonymous letters that have come out first regarding the Israel-Palestine conflict. And the first one was in the State Department, but then they just had one in the Biden White House. And and the Democratic older establishment, they're very offended at these letters. And like James Carville had the some gall of these young whippersnappers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what the Carvel, the James Carvel quote sounded like. I mean, he said, if this were Clinton's, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but if this were mm-hmm. the Clinton administration, it's not even, it, it was very much in my day, we did things differently. Mm-hmm. He said, you would never even mm-hmm. have considered even sending an anonymous Doing such letter. A thing. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and the other thing, they also are trying to pile in ideological critique into this as well, which is also bullshit because- they're trying to bundle an ideological critique here as well, trying to imply that, oh, the the young progressives are just too extreme and they need to shut the hell up. And 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 then, as you said, like in our day, this is not what was allowed. And, and that's it's all bullshit, because the reality is that Washington, D.C. has always been a town of leaks. And the only difference is that instead of trashing the president anonymously to reporters, they just wrote a document themselves to put their whole thing together in one package. That's it. And guess what else? This is a thing that Republicans have been doing as well. So like, this is not the left wing going out of control, the, causing woke disaster for the Democratic Party. No, none of that's true. None of that is true. But it's just a lot of these people, they feel like, well, I was treated like shit when I was young in politics. So I can you know, treat you guys like shit and you should just take it. And maybe someday you can do the same to other people. Well, you know what? No, fuck that. And then the other, and then the last thing I would say on that is that it also bespeaks kind of this insincerity that a lot of these democratic elites have had about things like March for Our Lives or Black Lives Matter, that they encourage them on the surface and publicly, but they also don't want to listen to them and do what they actually want. And 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 that's I mean. And I have to give them credit on the on the gun stuff that they've like they have tried to pass some legislation on it, but they don't talk about it to the rest of the public and talk about how the Republicans are standing in the way of this. And then when it comes to the original demands of Black Lives Matter, other than police reform stuff or like restrictions on searches or thing or uh, force, they they haven't really done paid much attention to the original Black Lives Matter ideas, which were not at all the way that the right wing has characterized them. So it's just like, you can't, you can't, you can't tell people, welcome to our coalition. We love your energy, but then go sit in the corner and do as you're told. It doesn't work that way. And especially in the Democratic Party, these same fucking people, this was their lives when they were in the 60s and the 70s opposing the Vietnam War and and pushing for the ERA. Which they actually can never shut up about. That's right. You know, I wish I wish the boomers (laughs) shut the fuck up about their activism and how they change the world, but how they don't want anyone else to 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 follow in their footsteps in that way. I think that one of the it's uh, sort of I feel like the disparity was made. You could see it in sort of vivid, fleshy life with one of the one of the three protesters at the church was was a young black woman. And obviously a lot of the people Mm. in the pews were probably 
older church going black folks, right? And what we know is that most black folks of a certain age, and I mean younger, probably 45 and and younger, support a ceasefire. So there's, we're seeing these disparities everywhere and they're manifest and certainly in these protests that we're seeing. That's why it felt a little sort of disingenuous to talk about it in that way, that it was, that it was just these white kids being disrespectful in this church. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they were speaking for a sizable number of black folks. Yeah. Well, and then, and then I would say on the age thing also that a lot of younger black people are not really interested in church. And so their perspective is completely excluded from black churches because they're not there. And so, but rather than question themselves as to, well, why is it that these young people don't want to be here? They don't do that. They just are like, well, uh, we'll do our thing the way we want it. And it's like, this is why people don't go to your church guys. (laughs) Right. And and the thing is like the, I'm sorry, but, the idea that you need to tailor your protest to the likes and the comfort of the people that you're yelling at is absurd. The point of protest is to make things uncomfortable, to draw attention to an issue. That's literally what it's mm-hmm. there for. If you're asking me to yeah. lower my voice or just to, to speak nicer, to sit in a corner and wait till you're done talking, maybe put on a very quiet, show for me that in a genre that's of my literally what they said like, to MLK. That's not, yeah <laughs> that's literally not how that works i mean it's it's yeah. it's a ridiculous idea on its face so yeah pretty much more of the same yeah so i mean i think they will be made to see the truth of this though one way or another the younger people are going to win even if it's just by attrition (laughs) yeah exactly Um, yeah and it would be better for the country though if their voices were listened to before they became disenchanted and Mm -hmm. stay home on election day so that donald trump gets to be elected as dictator so like this is not just some petty little kids these days this is actually fucking serious and when you talk about democracy under threat democratic leadership you need to actually understand that also applies to your own actions, not just mm-hmm. how you don't like Trump or Republicans. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I think there, there is also kind of a this next story that we were looking at a lot together in the past few days is the aftermath of Claudine Gay, the former Harvard president. Like there, there's this is related to this Biden church protest story, like there, there is not just a, a intergenerational conflict, but of course there is a racial component as well here. And the story just ke- keeps developing more twists and turns. And it's, it has now been completely exposed that the people who were, you know, supposedly concerned about Claudine Gay being a plagiarist, none of that was true. None of right. That. And we knew right. that. Right. So, yeah, so just if in case you've missed it, Bill Ackman, who is a billionaire hedge funder, who in recent years, I mean, I know that for a long time he was kind of a big dim donor, and in recent years he's become, uh, I don't know, much more of a, a right. Or just another libertarian shithead. That's all he yeah, is. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I know that he was very outspoken about Kyle Rittenhouse. That's the thing I keep saying, and he defended. Elon Musk's mm-hmm. anti-Semitic t- tweets, which is uh, also quite weird because his whole, I mean, the whole thing that catalyzed this movement against gay against was ostensibly gay, yeah. her, was her, was her supposed anti-Semitism. But 
So Business mm-hmm. Insider, after Gay announced her resignation, which again came under duress, they published a story that accused Ackman's wife, Neri Oxman, who was a professor at MIT, she's not there anymore, of plagiarizing parts of her doctoral thesis. And from she Wikipedia. actually, <laughs> well, for, the first story was just about, yeah. it, it, it was it was very much in sort of line with what Gay was accused of, which is she didn't, mm-hmm. not proper formats on crediting sources, quotes that should have mm-hmm. been included, qu- I mean, literal quotation marks that were left out. And she actually said that, that she hadn't followed the proper approach, kind of regretted it and apologized, asked that it would be corrected. And her husband, Ackman, immediately took to Twitter and said, and this is the person who was very much right behind Christopher mm-hmm. Rufo and kind of on the front lines of getting gay removed, said, part of what makes her human, and this, I guess, is, would be the difference between his wife and Claudine Gay, who he does not see as human, <laughs> but part of what makes his wife human is that she makes mistakes, she owns them, and she apologizes. <laughs> Uh, But then Business Insider doubled down and they did a report that included 28 more alleged examples of plagiarism. These included Mm -hmm. sort of wholesale lifting of Wikipedia passages, like the kind of stuff that isn't just citation minutia. This is like Um, middle school, middle school level plagiarism here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she even lifted an illustration. And I mean, here's the thing. She's not even an MIT professor anymore. She has like a, a show that she does. I think it's like a podcast, a video podcast. Like her career in academia, this isn't going to affect her standing at MIT. She she left there years ago. She doesn't really um, have a couple it, years yeah. ago, right? He's so like Lex these Friedman kind of attacks. <laughs> the fact that the fact that he is so incensed, and I should add that Ackman has continued to post these incredibly lengthy, not just defenses of his wife, but attacks on Business Insider. He's kind of turned it into this war on anyone from MIT and Business Insider because he suspects that they were in, working in cahoots with each other to take his wife down as mm. some sort of like revenge, revenge. story against yeah. him. It's really interesting yeah. to see the way that he has completely done a 180 on what he thinks about plagiarism. Now he says that plagiarism, mm-hmm. I mean, he called Claudine Gay. Everyone's a plagiarist. Well, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, well, he says uh. it's not a big deal. He said her citation <laughs> stuff, Gay's citation stuff, he said was really grave and that it was a huge, would have a huge impact on Harvard's reputation. Mm-hmm. And now he's yep. saying, well, he's redefined plagiarism to be something completely different. It has to be the theft of ideas. It has to be, he's kind of creating this room and I won't even call it wiggle room. It is like, what's bigger than a wiggle? Some, some huge sort of cavernous <laughs> room between. Twerking. You know, for, yeah, twerking room to provide excuses for what his wife has done. He said his family should be off limits for media scrutiny. Keep in mind, this is a guy who championed the doxing of fucking Harvard freshmen, like Harvard students who signed a letter. His wife is a grown ass woman. Like he's acting like she's. This poor who's a child who can't a public figure seeking yeah to who's already and, a pu- public figure and as I said she has a show he's he has repeatedly implied that this is happening because the players are anti-Zionist which is really just a term he's using to mean anti-Semitic which mm-hmm. in each case the people that he cited there's no evidence of that but also if you want to start talking about in the case of gay 
the kind of paper trail that I can point to that it would certainly seems like her race was part of that takedown. We could get into that. I don't think you want to. So I just feel like mm-hmm. this is a real lesson for Ackman in that fuck around and find out, but also don't start none, won't be none. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, and it's also that, I mean, I, I'm I'm very grateful that people like him, these libertarian shithead rich people who they temporarily migrated into the Democratic coalition when the Republican Party decided to get jiggy with Pat Robertson. They they were horrified by it because they're not. <laughs> I'm sorry, just because Pat Robertson is like the least jiggy person ever. I just. I know that's why I said it. Okay. <laughs> uh, but like it was because it was horrifying, and they're not they're not fundamentalist Christians, and they were disgusted by it. So they're like, "Well, fuck, I'm getting out of this party. I'm going over here to the Democrats." But they didn't change their beliefs, and and now and then now they're taking their mask off and showing everybody that yeah, we were never progressive, we were never left. Yeah, we were just a bunch of right wing non Christians and. Like and and Elon Musk and other there's so many of these people. I am glad that they are letting people see who they are, and yeah. always have been. So. And Norman Finkelstein and I shared this with you, but I think we'd both seen it. Tweeted and again, I uh, when I retweeted it, I said the language is rough here, but so is the truth. He sort of in response to the Lackman said, "Oh, only the Sparts, only the Sparses." participate in <laughs> in plagiarism not us mm-hmm. how could you possibly call us out and really that is the truth and i think there's a lot of this in conservative players they don't actually have a policy. principle or something or yeah sure a policy that they really believe in that motivate motivates their these campaigns that they're launching what they start with is a gut feeling of some kind of indignation that they're feeling generally some sort of self-pitying mm-hmm. feeling of they're being sidelined or something is being taken from them. And then they build an entire theory around that. I think that very much in Claudine Mm -hmm. Gay's case, again, it's so much relates to changing of guards that that includes racially. And I think that's where those attacks initially Mm -hmm. launched from. And then they built this whole program around it of anti-Semitism, of plagiarism. Mm -hmm. And so because that was never real for them to begin with, it's so easy to when, when you turn it on, on turn the tables yeah. on them that the, the mask comes yeah on. yeah exactly i mean the hypocrisy arguments never work on the right wing because never they have never <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it took me years to, to figure that out when i first started writing but like you can't shame them with hypocrisy <laughs> i mean you, it's it just doesn't work yeah well and then, and then the other thing of of course you know behind the attacks on gay and, and the other college presidents who had, had had been in that hearing that kind of kicked this all off is that, you know, that the, the right wing with their coded language that they use is always continually kind of use looking for the next shibboleth. Right. And shibboleth, for those who don't know, it was a it was a it was a code word that was used in in among the ancient Hebrews that when they wanted to detect if somebody was from because they were these people were having a, a, a fight with each other and they were worried about spies and they were like they asked people to pronounce a word 
And if, and if you were from the region where the where their enemies were from, they couldn't say the word shibboleth the same way because of the, the way their accent worked. And so they would know that they were an interloper. And that's what this idea of code word is. So the Republican Party is constantly looking for new code words to to present racism in a way that gives them plausible deniability. Right. And, so and it was that, it was critical race theory most recently. Yeah. And now it's DEI, mm -hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that has become their latest boogeyman. And it was, I mean, that was a huge part of the argument around Claudine Gay, right? Is that she, yeah. her plagiarism was evidence of the fact that she shouldn't have been there and that she was a DEI hire. And which ultimately has now led to this larger conversation. I mean, that was already happening, really, because Rufo had already turned his attention to that. Vivek Ramaswamy talks a lot about that. You have people like Kenny Shu talking a lot about DEI mm -hmm. and how they want to dismantle these DEI programs. And they are doing it, I would say, sort of systematically college by college. I mean, it, it's they, I, mm -hmm. I'm watching them make announcements of each college that they attack mm -hmm. and then the college kind of backs off its program. But in the they've it's launched this argument between Mark Cuban and mm -hmm. our favorite player, Elon Musk. And it's it, it's been kind of shocking, I think, to a lot of people seeing Mark Cuban coming out and saying that these programs, number one, they're not what you say they are. That's number one. And then number two, you you don't understand what the idea of merit is and that you can't actually have merit unless everybody is on the playing field. Like like that's that is the the quintessence of this anti-diversity argument is that they they say we want a level playing field, but if a lot of people aren't even on the fucking playing field, then how would you have a, how can you how does that even how does that fairness even if it is some a supposedly level playing field and mark cuban has kind of stepped forward and and also served to delineate as well that these ideas they don't have to apply in every single circumstance so of course he's as most people know the owner of the dallas Mavericks basketball team and he's like look obviously there is plenty of places in this world plenty of businesses that diversity doesn't matter because again, like whether you can, if you can throw a ball in the hoop, it doesn't fucking matter what your race is. But but one little funny thing about that though is that the NBA itself is all has actually been diversifying racially for a long time, actually. Yeah. And and Mark Cuban himself has actually brought in a lot of players from outside of the United States because like that's really what a lot of of, of when when there are problems of diversity, a lot of it is simply it's both a matter of access. But it's also a matter of people thinking that they could do something or should do something. In other words, like, should. yeah. And so, um, and, and thinking that that's a viable career path or what, or interest path or whatever it is, like being shunned into thinking that they shouldn't do something or encourage, like that's, and, 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 and he was, it's, and this stuff is or, just, yeah, just thinking small. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, why would you not look outside of the puddles that you normally look in? to find folks who might mm -hmm. have exactly what you're looking for, but they're, you have yeah. to cast a wider net. Yeah. But it's, and it's been hilarious though, watching Elon Musk's reaction to all this, because it, it is absolutely the case that when, that any community, when a member of a community talks about something that's different to that community, it's more, they're going to be more receptive in the same way that, you know, like, uh, when people were working for same-sex marriage rights, that it was very helpful to them to get Christians on board with that 
and get people to understand that. And so, and Elon Musk has been enraged that Mark Cuban, a rich white male yes. billionaire, <laughs> has been saying, look, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And here's the truth. And it's been, it's been, it's been fascinating to see. Um, yeah. And, and so mo most recently, and this actually happened today, they got into this conversation about those, the issue with those Boeing Max planes, the issues with some of these planes and how shoddily built, or they just cut corners on things. And mm -hmm. which has led to, of course, this idea that they should, that DEI is to blame for that. But then it sort of segued <laughs> into this other conversation where some fanboy of Elon Musk tweeted at him that, and I'm, I'm going to just read this because I think it's important to just read the first part of it. Mm -hmm. So a person who, I, I don't think they tweeted at Elon, but he's able to find fellow racists no matter where they are on the site. And so the tweet starts with the person saying, the average IQ of USAF pilots is about 120. And the figures I've seen for major airline pilots range from 115 to 130. Then they compare it to what they say is the mean IQ of grads from HBCUs and which they tag at about 8590 based on the average SATs at those schools. And in response, and it goes on much longer, but res in response to that, and what this person is peddling is it's just classic race science, right? Um, mm -hmm. Alon responds, it will take an airplane crashing and killing hundreds of people for them to change this crazy policy of not DEI, but D-I-E. See what he did there? Yeah. Yeah. And as usual, that argument is just simply bad statistical thinking because the population of people who are graduates from historically black colleges is massive and includes people with many, many different majors, including very basic ones like business administration or shit like that. So the idea that you would generalize IQ between that gigantic group and a small group of people who have been highly trained and skilled and could not, cannot exist in their profession unless they have proven competence and intelligence for a number of years by law, it's ludicrous. And so the idea that they would do that is just ridiculous, but like they're so committed to this idea that black people are dumb and, and they're going to kill us with their stupidity. And, and it's just, it's and so how dare they be, And how, how dare they be in leadership positions? Which again, mm -hmm. it all tracks back to what what we started with today, which is the Claudian Gay thing. I mean, that is that was a huge part of the driving argument, the subtext of the movement to oust her. And and again, I said this last week, but the reason why that story isn't, you know, there's a widespread belief in this idea that black people are innately unqualified, and that's why we're not seeing the kind mm -hmm. of pickup on what. Alon just said, or what Bill Ackman is trying to say, this defense that he keeps running and this meltdown. We're not seeing so much coverage of the plagiarism charges against his wife. The New York Times isn't covering it endlessly because there's that idea that sort of anti-Blackness has currency, even with quote unquote liberal outlets. And we don't need to go into a whole thing about the conservatism of liberal outlets because we did talk about it last week, but this, that's at the core of so much of this stuff. And I just always feel the need to point it out because we don't talk about what's the nugget so often. Yeah. Well, you have uh, tied that up with a bow, Callie, so I think we can move <laughs> on. <laughs> In more terrible news, we have that Mehdi Hassan, the MSNBC and Peacock host, and really hard-charging progressive commentator, he is announced that he's leaving MSNBC after he was his show was canceled there, and he decided not to stick around as a commentator. 
And it's who can blame him? He they really fumbled the ball on that one. Yeah, and he's people on on Twitter have said he got Phil Donahue, and I think that's correct. That Phil Donahue he was emphatically questioning the the George W. Bush war in Iraq before it happened. And saying, look, no, the, the evidence they're presenting is not good. And this just seems like a bunch of lies. So please, can we can we please fucking talk about that stuff? And he got like, this is what being canceled actually looks like. And this is yeah. who gets canceled. This is not like right wing people. They pretend that they're going to get lose their jobs or whatever on media. Like they never do. They never fucking do. This left wing people get canceled and not for saying anything controversial. And it's it sucks. And yeah. MSNBC, meanwhile, puts forward people like morons like Hugh Hewitt or these Republican dopes or and and people, they have a reputation among people of having being the left wing network. But the reality is MSNBC is not progressive. It's just democratic. Yeah. And I, the bummer for me is, I mean, I know this isn't why he's being removed, but in addition to him sort of, I think speaking honestly about what's happening in Israel. I, I just really enjoyed him as an interviewer. He is one of the few people, mm-hmm. I think, in media who the elaborate answers and just double talk and squirrel. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't, he brought receipts and he would not let people off the hook. He would pose the same question over and over if he needed to. And I just wish Mm -hmm. there was, and that with various people, and I just wish there was more of that. I mean, he's one of the few people holding people to just get the fucking question answered. And so I I don't know where he's going to land. He said he made this announcement on Twitter that he's going to be launching his own stuff, or that hopefully, but hopefully it'll be something soon and he'll still be very visible and doing what he does. And not on X as Don Lemon. We saw that Don Lemon is going to be launching his Mm -hmm. new show, and he and Tucker Carlson are all. They're good. They're buddies now mm. congratulating each other. Um, so yeah. Yeah. God only Gag. knows what that God only knows what that's going to be. Nothing good. Yeah. I mean, let's no. not forget who Don Lemon was just just years ago. Not that many years ago. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody else who got the boot, though, in more in a more hilarious fashion and deserved fashion is Christian Ziegler, the former now former Republican Party chairman of Florida. He was kicked out after being, as I think most people listen, know of being accused of raping a woman and who he was in a three-way sexual relationship with his wife. And, and it's, it's, it is funny, but it's also illustrative that Republicans absolutely will cut people loose who are a liability to them, except for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, and then, of course, he is the second Republican chairman to be fired within this within a seven day span. We had our our good friend, Christine Caramo of Michigan, was the QAnon chairman of the Republican Party there. She (laughs) was also forced out. Although I think she's refusing in her own way because she can stop them, but she's she's refusing to step (laughs) down, my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Which, of so, course, I mean, that makes so much sense based on everything. That it's on brand. It's very <laughs> highly on brand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so that will be a, a fun story to keep tabs on, I think. But, and I guess 
and we'll see what happens with the with the the Christian Ziegler stuff and the Florida because the Florida Republican Party they are so dominant in the state there. We'll we'll see if that ends up hurting them at all. But I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> they deserve yeah. it certainly. So speaking of Florida, there was another removal, but mm-hmm. this time we're not talking about Republican officials. We're talking about mm-hmm. books. Uh, of course. <laughs> in a county called Escambia, they've apparently removed the dictionary, the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, some other books. And this is, again, to comply with these laws that have been passed by, by DeSantis. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, I, I guess it's because of sexual content is, is what they're citing. But in any case, like it's, that's where we are. I mean, it's, we're so far, <laughs> my God, we're removing dictionaries. I mean, it really is the kind of thing that as <laughs> that satirically would be, mm-hmm. I mean, it would be the perfect kind of gag about where we're headed and just, it's an, it's insane that that's, that's really <laughs> happening. That's a real thing that happens. So yeah. Yeah. But it's also the inevitable. Yeah, it's also the inevitable thing to happen. And it's another example, like so many people who are kind of casual or loosely attached Republican voters, they want to believe that we're the reasonable people. Unlike these snowflake, crazy leftist people on tick, we're the common sense people. And it's like, no, these are the policies that actually result from the things that you vote for and the people you vote for is banning the dictionary because it has the word transgender in it or it has the word gay in it. <laughs> That's basically what this comes down to. And, yeah. and it reminds me of the the school and district in Utah that had to ban the Bible for the same reason. The, the right wing doesn't get that. When people say that, well, maybe students shouldn't have in their curriculum kind of racist books or, or things like that, it doesn't mean that they want to ban them from the library and ban students from reading these books. They, ha- they, they still have them in the library and you can check them out. I mean, it's just bullshit, but it's, it is inevitable. And I, I, I hope people, this story gets everywhere yeah. <laughs> because it's hilarious it- and important too at the same time. A a tiny tidbit that's kind of hilarious. Among the 1,600 books that were recommended to be removed as part of this were two books by Bill O'Reilly, the conservative pundit who, before Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox, was fired from Fox. And (laughs) I guess, yeah, two of his books were were removed, Killing Jesus and Killing Reagan. So there you go. Hey, well, maybe I, I might support banning those. <laughs> Just kidding, conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all right. Well, that takes us to our last one of the of the show here. So it's always yeah. always a fun conversation. And uh, agreed. Having everybody join us next week. Sounds good. All right. See ya. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.